up, but after church service, she come up to me and she said, uh, Brother Susan, you don't need a microphone. <laughs> says, you need a muffler. <laughs> so, but I'm just doing what the Bible says. The Bible says, lift up thy voice, cry aloud. Lift up thy voice like a trumpet and cry aloud and show my people this. And that's all I'm doing. Sounding the alarm. I mean, in the old days of the Calvary, when they had to go in there, they didn't have no violin playing, did they? They had the trumpet. And that trumpet gave that charge, and those soldiers knew they were going into battle. And everything was by the sound of the trumpet. Paul wrote in Corinthians, if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who should prepare himself to the battle? And uh, the trumpet had different tones to it. Uh, A certain song would mean assembly together. Uh, another tune would be uh, taps at night, time to rest. Another be mess hall call. You say all by the sound of the trumpet. And Paul was saying that the trumpet need to have a clear sound at the right time. And today the gospel of Jesus Christ needs to ring true at the right time, loud enough over the din of sin that the righteousness of Jesus might be made known to a lost and dying world. Well, praise God we're here today. Uh, you know, it's always a blessing for me to be here and uh, receive the invitation. And I had the date open, so I accepted. And uh, here we are. Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to the Gospel of Luke, the first chapter, please, in your Bible today. God's holy and precious word. Luke, chapter number one. Luke was the one that stood by Paul when everybody else forsook him. He said in Timothy that Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this world. Demas has gone into uh, Galatia, and only Luke is with me. He remained faithful by the side of the Apostle Paul. And thank God for faithful people that stand by the gospel of Christ. In Luke chapter number 1, and uh, in this account here, of course, we have the announcement and of the birth of John the Baptist. Uh, Elizabeth was was barren, and God gave her a promise, you're going to have a child. And here's what God has to say when uh, Zacharias uh, saw the angel in verse number 12. And and when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son. And thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. I stop and think of that, and just a few days ago, I became a grandpa all over again. And so our our third son, Ben and Amanda, married a number of years, and finally, uh, the Lord gave him a child, uh, and <laughs> it was a boy. So Susan name will go on a little bit more generations. That's the second. I have four granddaughters, as you know, and two grandsons now. And uh, so I could rejoice at the birth of that child. I could rejoice in the uh, life that God had brought in the world. And God said to Zacharias, you've been praying, you and Elizabeth, and Elizabeth been barren, and you've been praying for a child. And God said, uh, I heard your prayer, and she's going to have a child. But notice what it says here in verse number 14. Thou shall have joy and gladness. I wonder today how many young women... Uh, have woken up and found out and, or realized that they were pregnant and had no joy over that. 
because they did not do it God's way. They had no joy of it. Matter of fact, it's depression. And they want to go out and maybe uh, kill, kill the baby. He said, there's joy. He received the word with joy. But notice in verse number 15. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. Wow. He shall be great in the sight of the <clears throat> This is not the opinion of a man. This is not an opinion of a church group. Perhaps presenting a plaque of recognition to the pastor, which is fine. But this is a statement from heaven. And God said, he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. Here's a man. Excuse me, I got a tickle in my throat here. Here is a man that was born in answer to prayer. This man was related to Mary and Joseph. This man was related to Jesus. But that's not what made him great. His greatness wasn't that he was an answer to prayer, although that was marvelous. His greatness wasn't because of who he was related to. But God says he would be great in the sight of the Lord. You know, today there is a great prominence to be great in the eyes of men, isn't there? Everybody wants, oh, thank you, brother. I usually don't drink on the job, but. I feel guilty doing that in front of you. I think I should hide it or something. I apologize. At least I could offer you something, but you don't want it after I just drank from it. <laughs> he should be great in the eyes of the Lord. What a statement. Oh, yeah, he's related to Mary and Jesus. And, and That's not what made him great. And today, everybody wants to be great in their own eyes. Okay, we're going back into the sports season. Baseball opened up and football. And, but there will come a time at the end of the sports season where there will be a push to be number one. Number one in baseball. Number one in football. Number one in basketball. And when all of that is over and the cameras are on the winning team, they're going to look into the face of the camera and say, we're number one. We're number one. It happened with the disciples when they were with Jesus. Lord, when you go into your kingdom, uh, which one of us are going to be the greatest? Jesus said, the greatest is the one that serves. He that would be great, let him be servant of all. And I want to talk to you this morning a little bit about what the Bible says and how to be great in the eyes of the Lord. How do you feel about that this morning? Do you want to be great in God's eyes? Do you want men's applause? Or do you want God's praise? Do you want the recognition of man? And send that is fine. I'm not opposed to that. I want you to understand that. But in the end, when we die, those plaques will probably come off the wall, go into a drawer, and who knows what happens to them after that. 
All our fame and notoriety will pass away. And I don't care how high a position you might have in your job. Someone's going to clean out your desk. Take your name off the door. Put another name on. Someone else is going to drive your car. Somebody else is going to get your golf clubs. <laughs> Somebody else may wear your clothes. Live in your house. But what about you in eternity? What about you when it counts? What would the Lord say? Oh, you had a beautiful house down there. Oh, you did good on your job. Oh, you have so many recognitions and, and plaques and certificates. All that will mean nothing. It'll be trash when we stand before God. Do we want to be great in the eyes of the Lord? I'm not talking about getting the applause of man. I'm talking about getting the praise of the almighty God. To hear those wonderful words. You know what they are. It's going through your mind already. Well done. Right? Finish it with me. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. He shall be great in the eyes of the Lord. Now, what made him great? Well, let's look at a few things this morning. Because I believe the same things that made him great in the eyes of the Lord are the same things that can make us great in the eyes of the Lord. You may be disdained down here and looked down upon here, but to have the praise of the Almighty on the other side, oh, what a blessing that will be all of time and eternity. For Jesus himself said, and you know the verse, what shall a profit a man if he shall gain the whole world? And what? Lose his own soul. What have you gained? Absolutely nothing. And great is the loss thereof. So what are some of the things that made him great? In verse number 15 of Luke chapter number one, the Bible says, he should be great in the sight of the Lord. And shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be, now here it is, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. The first thing that made John the Baptist great was the fact that the Spirit of God was upon him. That what he did was not done in his human flesh but was done through the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Now, that frightens some people. So, oh, preacher, you're talking about the Holy Ghost. I actually had a pastor one time say to me, and I had talked about something similar to this, and I talked about the Holy Ghost, and he took me aside after the service. And he said, Brother Susan, look, uh, I would prefer if you didn't use the word ghost. Use spirit. Now, if you believe the Bible, God uses the word ghost and spirit, right? You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost shall come upon. He says, ghost frightens the children. <laughs> what? When our kids look at it on TV, ghost is going to frighten them. He was filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. You know, we know so little about the filling of the Holy Spirit and the anointing of God. We don't seek it. We don't want it. We don't understand it. And then we wonder why sometimes in our Christian life 
We are so powerless, so powerless. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. But it was also said of Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.9 that from his mother's womb, he was filled with the Holy Ghost, you see. The power of God was set upon him to serve Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, Christian, you cannot live the Christian life without the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it. And he's more than just a figurative figure within you. For you know the day you got saved, God gave you a physical gift and your body became the temple of the Holy Ghost. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, what know ye not? That your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you. Your body is the temple of God. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. But that's the presence of the Holy Spirit. When the disciples are in the upper room after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the Lord goes to them. And in John chapter 20, something happened. Jesus goes to them in his resurrected body. The Jesus they saw crucified on the cross now stood physically in front of him. And the Bible says, Jesus said to them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. And he breathed on them. And they received the Holy Ghost. That was the presence of the Spirit of God within him. But then he also said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. They had the presence of the Holy Spirit. But they did not have the power. Until Acts chapter 2 when the anointing of God fell and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and those preachers that preached that day. Can you imagine this, folks? Can you imagine this? Peter preached a sermon. When he got done with that sermon, 3,000 people got saved. How would you like to see that? How would you like to see 3,000 people in the church service? <laughs> 3,000 people got saved. Now, there are probably more than 3,000 in attendance. But 3,000 received the word of God. 3,000 believed what the apostles were saying as taught by Jesus, that they were dead in trespasses and sins. And that there was an eternity of judgment waiting for them. Oh, people laughed that off. Oh, come on, preacher. Hell is old-fashioned. You know why hell is old-fashioned? Because it's been around for a long time. That's why. But death is old-fashioned, too. People have been doing it for centuries. One of the number one questions people ask me, Brother Sousa, can you really be sure? Can we really know there's something on the other side? Does death end all? When you're dead, is that it? They put you in a box, bury you, or in an oven and burn you? And that's it. Have a little service. Some people come, send flowers, shed some tears. And they place you wherever you go. And is that it? Or is there something after death? Is there something on the other side of that door? You could rest assured we have the truth from the word of God. 
Because man is not just a chemical reaction and biological product of a man and woman. For indeed, even as God created that first man there in the garden, the Bible said, and God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living soul. There's more to your life than just a physical body that you see and possess. There is a spiritual part of you. It's called your soul. It's called your spirit. And that never dies. But it does move. One day it moves out of this physical house that we live in and it moves to one of two places for eternity. You see, everybody's going to live forever after you die. The question is, where are you going to live it? And the Bible talks about two places. It talks about heaven and it talks about heaven. Well, preacher, I don't believe it. You don't have to believe it, but you're going to face it someday. Deny the facts all you want. I got a track in the back there on the table. Five facts you must face. You could deny them if you want to. But truth is truth, and truth will always be truth. And truth will always be. We have John the Baptist was here because he was anointed by God. How many Christians today can make that claim? How many can say, I've been anointed? By God. Now that does not mean that something supernatural, super spiritual, and you start glowing or something like that, you know, and, and it doesn't mean that. And I haven't time to get into all of that, but I just want to see the fact here this morning that he was filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And the Bible teaches us not to be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Ghost. That happened to you? Do you seek it? Uh, how many were without power these last few days? Any of you? <laughs> Just almost every. I envy those of you whose hand it raised. <laughs> how many times have you gone into a room and hit the light switch? <laughs> right? Go to turn this. No power. I live uh, in the countryside, and I have a well. No power, no water. <laughs> turn on the faucet, faucet, and once that pressure tank is gone, and turn on the faucet, not even a drip. Nothing. Oh, God. Then when the power comes on, you got to go back, turn off everything that you had turned on. <laughs> you missed that power, didn't you? And do you remember the feeling when the lights all of a sudden came on? We got power. But how many have lived their life year after year after year as a Christian? No power, and you didn't even miss it. Not even concerned for it. He was great because the power of God was upon him. But there was something else. He was great because he had great convictions. Folks, listen. He knew what he believed, and he knew why he believed it. Talking with some college student not too long ago. He says, well, I don't believe that. I says, well, tell me what you do believe. He says, well, I just believe that when you live your life here and be nice to people and provide for your family and, and don't kill anybody and don't rob and try not to hurt people. He said, I, I believe that's the destiny of man. He says, well, why do you believe that? 
Well, I don't know. I just believe that. No basis for their belief. I just, I just believe it. It's what I feel. But your feelings and my feelings, folks, are not the basis for truth. And we need to know what we believe and why we believe it. If I were to say to you, how many people here, don't raise your hand and don't have to nod your head or give any uh, indication back to me. How many people here believe that Jesus is God? And you see, now I'm going to say, show me in the scripture. A question that came up at my ordination was, Brother Susan, do you believe in the Godhead? Now, the theological term is Trinity, but the Bible word is Godhead. And I said, yes. He said, show it to me in the Old Testament. <laughs> Can you do that? Can you do that? Why do you believe what you believe? The foundation for what we believe is this book. You say, well, I don't believe in the book. Um, got an owner's manual in your car? People don't understand the Bible. They think the Bible is a book of do's and don'ts and thou shalt and thou shalt not. And if thou shalt not, I'm going to judge you. They don't have the slightest idea. The Bible is nothing like that at all. Yes, there are some do's and there are some don'ts. But so when your car manual has the same thing. It tells you, put a certain kind of oil, right? Certain weight oil, whether mine happens to be 0 20. It tells you, use a certain kind of fuel. Use a certain kind of transmission fluid. And if you don't, what happens? You kill the life of your car. It tells you certain features of your car and how to operate this. The Bible is much the same way. It is God's manual for our life and God's manual for our death. And you could ignore that manual and you could say, ah, I'm not going to change my oil. And it'll run. And it may run a long time. But you shorten its longevity by disobeying the manual. It's the same thing in our life, folks. The Bible is the same way. It teaches us what to believe and why we believe it. Now, if you could accept your car manual for being authoritative in your car because it came from the manufacturer, you could accept the Bible for its authority for it comes from the manufacturer of God of heaven and of earth. And he had great convictions. He was a different kind of preacher. He didn't do it that way because somebody else said, boy, I'll tell you, a lot of churches are changing today. Well, these other churches, they're doing it like this, and these other churches, they're doing it like that. And he says, they're doing this, and they're doing that. John the Baptist said, I'm going to do what God tells me to do. And I'm not going to do it because somebody else is doing it another way. Now, notice in Luke chapter number 7, Luke chapter number 7, and find your way, if you were down to verse 28. Jesus is speaking. If you have a red letter edition Bible, you'll see these words are in red. For I say unto you, among those that are born of woman. Now, who was not born of woman? Even Jesus was born of woman without human father. I always stop and think he lived in heaven without human mother, 
born on earth without human father. And he says, among all those born of them, that's just another way of saying everybody. There is not a greater prophet than whom? John the Baptist. Did he forget about Moses, the great lawgiver? Elijah called on fire from heaven? He forget about the great prophets of Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel? But he said, John the Baptist, no greater prophet than John the Baptist. If anything nauseates God, it's a preacher that preaches to the crowd. Looks out over the congregation and says, oh, yeah, there's a big-time giver over there, and I know he's involved in that, so I'm not going to preach about that so he don't get mad and not put his money in the offering plate. God help a preacher like that. Or preaching against sin because, well, one preacher told me, he said, brother, if I preach like you preach, I'd lose half my church. He said, I'm going to tell you something, brother. You already lost him. You just don't know it. But John the Baptist preached with conviction. And he had conviction as God's man. Folks thought, oh, he's too rough. He's not finesse. <laughs> he's not smooth. You've seen some preachers. I've seen some of these. Boy, are they smooth talkers, aren't they? I like the old type preaching that says you must be born again. You got to get saved. A young preacher going to a church and he got up and he says, you, you must be born again or you're going to die and go to hell. And people, they were used to that kind of preaching. And finally, after a few sermons, uh, deacons took him aside and said, son, I know you, we know you're new in the ministry and you're a little rough around the edges yet. But uh, we, we get kind of offended by all this negative preaching. And we want you to preach more positive sermons. And the young man said, all right, I understand. The next Sunday he gets up there and he said, I've been told to preach a positive sermon. So I want to tell you, you must be born again or you will positively die and go to hell. <laughs> and that's the truth, folks. When I go to a doctor for a physical, I don't want him to sugarcoat me. I don't want him to say, well, you're, you're doing fine, Susan. You're, don't worry about it. And all the time he finds something on the inside that's not right, that can be fixed. And he doesn't tell me because, or if I tell him that, he may find another doctor and I'll lose him as a patient and lose some. So I'll just, I don't want a doctor like that and I don't want a preacher that plays at my soul that way. But to preach it right and to preach it straight. He had convictions. Where did it get him? Death. His head was cut off, put on a silver platter and presented to the king because of the sensual dance of a young lady. One word of compromise would have saved his life, but he wouldn't do it. And he died what he believed. That's what made him great in the eyes of God. People with convictions, not preferences, but convictions. What's your price to compromise today? What if you were looking down the barrel of a, of a rifle and saying, renounce Jesus or die? 
Boy, it's so easy sitting here and saying, I'll die. Yeah. <laughs> Where are your convictions? What's your price? What's your price? Conviction of coming to church. Somebody has a birthday party. Somebody has a ball game. And you compromise. You give up church for a ball game or a birthday party. Where's the conviction? John had a man, was a man of conviction. He had a conviction about sin. He had a conviction about the Bible. He had a conviction about doctrine and holiness in his life. He was not a compromiser. Thirdly, he was great because of his humility. We don't have a lot of humility in society today. Everybody is bragging. Everybody is proud. Everybody wants to be a leader. But this man was humble. Turn to John chapter 1. Look at this man's humility before mankind and before God. John chapter 1 and it was verse number 19. And this is the record of John when the Jews sought priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him who they are. Hey, we got who's this guy, John the Baptist, down there in the river and putting people in the water? And who is that? Go down there. Find out who he is. Legitimate question. And verse number 20, no, excuse me, 19. And he says here, who art thou? What was his answer? He confessed and denied not, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. That's. And they asked him, what then? Art thou Elias? He said, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. Then said he unto them, then, then said they unto him, who are you? Who art thou? We got to give an answer to those that sent us. And then they come out with this question. What sayest thou of thyself? Ooh. How would you answer this question? How would you say, what do you think of yourself? How would you answer that? Well, I know I'm a pretty good person. I'm not perfect, I know that, and that's kind of false humility there. Accurate, but yet false humility. Oh, I'm a pretty good person, and I'm a good provider, and I'm a hard worker. that what you say about yourself? What do you say about yourself today? What claim would you make if somebody says, hey, tell me about yourself? And some preachers might say, oh, you don't know who I am? Well, I pastor the largest Baptist church in America. I founded this college. I run this ministry. I got so many satellites going around. What do you say about yourself as a Christian, as a church member, maybe a visitor here? What do you got to say about yourself today? What would you say? Like that one famous preacher was preaching in a church, and he was kind of high-minded about himself. And he goes up to a little boy, and he says, Hey, son. Do you know who I am? The little boy says, nope. But the pastor's over there. He could probably tell you. <laughs> and so it is with ourselves. What do you say about yourself? 
You flatter yourself, puff yourself up. And I'm not saying those things aren't true about you, but that's what you brag about. That's how you put your worth into your life. And notice they say, what sayest thou of thyself? And here's his answer in verse 23. And he said, I'm a voice. <laughs> I'm a voice. Such humility. I'm just a voice. A voice? Oh, you must be one of those great gospel singers. And I love gospel singing, and I praise God, jealous of them, but I praise God of these great singers that come in and so touch our heart and touch our souls with gospel music. Oh, you're, oh, you must have a great baritone voice. Oh, you must, no, no. What do you do with your voice? I cry. You're what? I cry. So I am a voice of one crying. Oh, so you stand up in the street corners and you cry a lot. No, what do you do? You're crying out in the wilderness. See his humility? He says, I don't even talk about me. I talk about Jesus. We like talking about ourselves, don't we? And I said, well, I introduce ourselves to people and find out what's going to, I understand. And some people say, well, who are you? I said, well, I'm just a sinner saved by the grace of God. <laughs> Such humility. I'm a servant of the most high God. That's all I am. That's all I am. Who art thou? I'm a voice crying in the wilderness. What a humble answer. What a humble answer that is. Such a question. In John 1, 27, you notice what he says. He it is who cometh after me is preferred before me whose shoe latchet I am not worthy to unloose. That I am not even worthy to untie the shoes of Jesus. That's humility. Of knowing his place with the Son of God. Such humility. The lost key to greatness is humility. Who of us have not been guilty of pride? Hmm? Who of us have not been guilty of boasting? Who of us today can honestly say, I give all the glory to God and not myself? We'd like to take a little bit of credit at that, for that, don't we? But John the Baptist made a statement that I want to be so true in my life. He, meaning Jesus, must increase and I decrease. You know what it is, folks? It's more of Jesus and less of us. That's what it is. That's what we talk about when we say surrender. It's acknowledging that there is a master above us. More of him and less of us. In the struggle for greatness, there is no room for pride. Richard, that was a great sermon. Yeah, I know. I studied hard on that one. Boy, I put a lot into that, didn't I? You've lost it all. Heard a great preacher preach one time. Stirred my soul after the service. And I went up to him and I said, 
That touched my heart. His response was, thank God. Humility. We don't have it today. Everybody, me first. Oh, you see it on the highway. You ever get somebody that can't stand a car in front of them? <laughs> Got to go passing everybody and they zigzag in and out. But to be first. And with the long lines of Dunkin' Donuts, everybody tries to cut it. <laughs> but he wants to be first. Me first. He's got to take care of number one. I agree with that. But to me, number one is Jesus. Did you ever notice something? The birds that have the sweetest sound are the small birds. The robin, the finch, the sparrow. The bigger the, the bird, the worse the sound. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean like uh, eagle, high and lofty. <laughs> a hawk. I mean, and, 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 and when you get into a turkey, I mean, that's even something else, you know. Or an ostrich. It's not the big birds that have the great sweet song. It's the little ones. And that's what I want to be for God. Just that little sweet voice. And God's gifts of greatness are not on the high shelf where you have to grow to obtain. But he puts his greatest gifts and blessings on the lowest shelf for those that are willing to bend and stoop and to get them. I've been saved for so many years, and I'll tell you, I know more about the Bible than, oh, no. It's God's grace that saved you, and it's God's grace that sustained you all the way through. The glory goes unto him. I could stop and think of so many that have gone through so much for Christ, and yet has a sweet song of Jesus upon them. Are you willing to receive the authority of Jesus in your life? Nobody going to tell me. No Bible and no Jesus and no God is going to tell me. If you live without God, you'll die without God, and you'll go to a place without God. Preacher, I'll take my chances. It's not a gamble. That's a sure thing. There is no chance to take. It is a certainty. He was great because he was willing to die for what he believed. Let me just close with an illustrative thought. And folks, don't misunderstand me. I'm not preaching this because I'm telling you I'm great in the answer. I'm struggling just like you are. I have daily sin just like you have daily sin. We're all the same in these bodies of flesh, but hallelujah. Thank God there is coming a time when the dead in Christ shall rise first and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with him. And this old body of flesh and that old nature will die forevermore and we shall have a new body in glory and no sin no more. I struggle like you do. A little girl taken sick. I hate it when children are sick. 
I, 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 I say the TV commercials, and I know some of them may be dramatized, but it's so true. I know it's so true of children that have cancer. I've seen the commercials and for different hospitals that treat cancer for children and help other children that can't walk to teach them to walk and use arms and legs. And I just don't like hearing about children getting sick. It just doesn't seem right. And she was very sick. And every day the pastor would come and visit her. Her father was an unbeliever. Her mother believed, but the father said, that's not for me. It's good enough all right, for you, but not me. And every day the pastor would come and pray with her, read some scriptures, and they sing songs. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And they'd sing different hymns, and he'd read different scriptures, and he would pray that she would get well. And then he'd leave. One day he went, as he usually did, and read some scripture, had some prayer. They sing, no, they, they, he read scripture, they sang some songs, and then he was going to pray. He says, Pastor, can I make a request? Pastor says, certainly. Don't pray for me to get well. Huh? I can understand how that pastor might have felt. I'd prayed, I'd visited relatives of mine dying of lung cancer in the hospital. I remember them well. Used to smoke and so bad and say, hey, you got to die sometime. You might as well just enjoy it along the way. And I was by his bedside when his lungs were eaten away and in bearable pain. And the nurse would come as he would cry out, shoot him with morphine. Uh, he relaxed a little bit. But a few moments later, oh, oh, and the nurse would come in more. I mean, yeah, he was addicted, but he's going to die anyway to take the pain away. I was about ready to pray when his wife, my aunt, called me over in the corner. And she said to me, she says, Danny, pray that God will take him. It's got to be a hard prayer for a wife. But to see the agony and the pain. And I can imagine this pastor with that little girl. And the little girl says, don't pastor. I don't want you to pray. I, got, I get well. And the pastor said, well, why? He says, well, pastor, you know my daddy's not a Christian. He don't believe in Jesus like you and I and mama believes. And he's not going to go to heaven I'm going to die, and I know I'm going to go to heaven, and, and my mom is going to, and she's going to go to, and I know I'll see her in heaven, but I won't see my daddy in heaven. She said, but pastor, if I die, you'd preach my funeral, won't you? He said, well, of course, honey, I'd preach your funeral, but I don't want to talk, but, but pastor, if you preach my funeral, my, my, my daddy will come to my funeral, won't he? He won't come to church much, but he'll come to my funeral, won't he? He says, I'm sure he'll be at your funeral, honey. And, and pastor, at my you're going to preach the gospel, aren't you, and tell people how to get saved? Well, yes, of course. So, well, 
Maybe my daddy will come to my funeral and hear you preach the gospel and get saved. That time came. She did pass off into eternity. The arrangements were made. The casket was there, and she was in a real pretty dress in that casket. And the preacher got up to preach. Talked about the faith of that child. Committing their soul to Jesus and how she's now in heaven. No more pain. No more sickness. No more. Boy, wouldn't that be a great day, folks? No more arthritis and no more pains and aches and all that we have and cancer upon this earth. Talked about the new body that she has that will never grow old and never die. And then he gave the account that I just told you and how she asked the pastor not to pray for her healing because she wanted her daddy to hear the gospel. That man stood up, tears running out his eyes, off of his face, threw himself over that casket and begged for the mercy of God to save his soul that he could be with the little girl in heaven. To me, that little girl was great. That's greatness, folks. That's greatness. Now, God may never call me or to you to be in that position, but we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Honey, would you come to the piano, please? We can be filled with the Holy Spirit and seek that this morning. You miss the power in your house. How about the power in your life? I wonder today, do you have great conviction? Do you know what you believe and why you believe it? Can you contend and stand for the faith today? Oh, I just believe it. That, that's what my church believes. You don't believe something because a church tells you to believe that. You believe something because it's in the word of God. And you've read it, and you've studied it, and you accept it. That's where convictions come by. Thus saith the Lord. And that is the final authority of all things. Do you have those type of convictions? Today, do you have humility? Where's there some pride? In a moment, I'm going to have you stand, and I'm going to give a public altar call. Now, if you want to socially distance yourself, we got a lot of room over here. You can spread out all over the place if you want to. When you're all done, go back, sanitize your hands, you'll be all set. But I'm going to give a public invitation. If you're here and you have never opened your heart to Jesus Christ, why not? What is the devil offering you for your soul? What is the devil offering you for an eternity of damnation in the lake of fire? Whatever it is, he's a liar and he can't deliver. The only thing he can deliver on is your eternal destruction in the home of the doomed. Why don't you give your heart to Jesus this morning? To come and just say, God, I fought you. I denied you. But God, this morning, I believe. I believe you died for me. 
And my sin will bring me to hell. God, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you died for me. And Lord, I don't trust my baptism. I don't trust any Baptist church or Baptist preacher. God, I am trusting you and you only to save my soul. And commit your heart to Jesus and soul to Jesus this morning. I'll guarantee you'll never regret it. But if you don't, you may live to see the day you do regret it. This morning, Christian, will you ask God for the fullness of power in your life? Now, there's only one thing that stops folks from walking down an aisle. Only one. Pride. I I don't have to go down there. That's not me. I don't have to do that. No, I guess you don't. But you can. And I wonder this morning at that invitation there would be Christians that would say, God, I want your power in my life. And God, I want convictions in my life. And God, I want humility. Now, you don't have to kneel. I understand one dear saying to God, said, Preacher, I can't kneel. If I kneel, I won't be able to get up for a week. <laughs> I understand that. But you can come and maybe sit in the front all the front rows are clear. You can come and just sit in the front row and make an altar before God and bow before him. You can kneel if you want to. Or you can just come and stand to the side. But to say, God, I want to be great in your sight. What will hinder you from coming? What will stop you from coming? Somebody, well, preacher, I'm, I'm in the middle. Of, just excuse me, and folks will let you out. But to come to God and say, God, I want your power, anointing. And God, I want convictions and know why I believe what I believe. And God, I want humility in my life to be great in the sight of the Lord. Would you stand, please, and look up at me? Look up this way, folks. We've been here for... An hour and five minutes. What's that? Nothing. But there's an eternity that's waiting. I'm not the first one. I'm the first one at the altar this morning. I'm asking you, join me to be great in the eyes of the Lord right now.